You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. for our learning that we may through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope we see how the Lord dealt with the people of Israel how he was gracious to them and how he dealt with them and how he does so many things and we can have hope why we're not the children of Israel the church is never going to be Israel we are the church we're the Christ's bride but our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's going to act the same. He's going to do those things for His beloved people. When reading throughout the Scriptures, do you find your spirit being filled with hope? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All of Scripture points to a good God who can be trusted. The Lord is faithful to His promises and His character. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Victorious Christian. You are sure. We're starting a new book. I'm calling it The Victorious Christian, and we're studying the book of Joshua. We're going to be using Joshua 1, 1 through 8 today as an introduction. So Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun. Let's read the uh, first, actually, first nine verses. I put eight, but we should read the first nine verses because that completes the thought there. Okay, I'll read aloud if you want to read along silently. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go." Well, I'm sure that all of you have read the book of Joshua at one time or another, and you might even have a question as to why God has spent so much time in his word to record these military victories of Joshua and Israelites as they conquered the land. 
But make no mistake about it, Joshua is indeed an historical account of the Israelites coming into the land of Canaan and conquering it. It's a story of warfare. It's a story of warfare tactics. But there's so much that we can learn from Joshua. There's so much that we can learn from this book and apply it to our Christian lives. And that's why I've entitled this whole series, The Victorious Christian. Because just as Joshua and the children of Israel were victorious in entering the land and conquering the land, so too can we as Christians be victorious in the Christian life that God has given us through Jesus Christ. We can be as victorious and we can live in the abundant life that Christ has come to give us. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. So open our hearts to see what's happening. And so much has been written about these conquests, especially in the old hymns. The old hymns is full of the conquest. Specifically in these old hymns, Jordan always becomes an illustration of death, while Canaan, the promised land, becomes an illustration of heaven. But as we go through this book, you'll see that although the abundant fruit in the promised land, there is abundant fruit, there is also fierce fighting. There's also many battles to be won. Therefore, we must realize that the promised land of Canaan cannot speak of heaven. They cannot speak of heaven because in heaven there is no more war. There is no more fighting. There is peace. There are no more tears. There's no more death. So we can't look at the land of Canaan and say that it is heaven. In the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied in chapter 2, in verse 4, it said, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. War is not going to be part of heaven. So we can't say that Canaan, the promised land, is a picture of heaven. God delivered his people from Egypt, which is always a picture of the world and sinfulness. And God's desire was to bring them into a land of promise, a land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a land that he promised the forefathers, a land flowing, he says, with milk and honey. What does this book have to do with us today, you might be asking? Well, we read these books and we see that it's a foreshadow of Christ. We see it's a foreshadow of the coming of Christ because Christ becomes our Joshua. In fact, they share the same name which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. But Christ is our Joshua. Where Joshua led the Jewish people, the Israelites, into the promised land, Jesus leads us into the abundant life. Into the life filled with the Spirit. A life led by the Spirit. So we can glean a lot from that. So it's important that we study these books in that light. And again, we can be victorious in this life today. Because Christ has overcome, and in Christ we are overcomers. The Lamb of Promise can be likened, and I've already likened it to several times, to what Jesus spoke about in John 10.10, where he says that I've come to give you life and life more abundant. The abundant life that he has come. A life in Christ. In that section of John 10, Christ was talking about the good shepherd that he is. I am the good shepherd. I'm the door to the sheepfold. And he talks about that. And when I was reading this today, I'm reminded of that beautiful psalm that everybody wants to use at a funeral. But I think it's a psalm of life. I think it's a psalm of wonderful life. And it speaks of the life that we have, this abundant life in Christ to me. 
And it talks about the Lord being our shepherd. You know the Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And I love this next verse. I shall not want. If Christ is our shepherd, we don't want anything. Because the good shepherd takes care of his sheep. He nourishes his sheep. He feeds his sheep. He tends them and cares for them. If one gets lost, he goes out and search for it and brings it back. He, the Lord, makes me to lie down in green pastures. Oh, man, I don't know. Have you ever seen the green pastures? Have you ever seen places that are so green that you just want to run and jump and lay in them? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in these beautiful pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. There is no righteousness without Christ in my life. For his name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no evil. Why? For you are with me, Lord. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff is comforting to a sheep. Because when the sheep gets out of line, the shepherd gives them a little shot with the rod and the staff and corrects them. Pulls them back in from danger. With the rod and the staff, he fights off the wolves. He fights off those things that would harm the sheep. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. Every time you see oil in the scripture, it speaks of only one thing. And that's the Holy Spirit. You anoint me with the Holy Spirit. My cup runs over. You anoint me so much, my cup runs over. Torrents of living water flowing from my body. The Holy Spirit. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great psalm. What a great psalm. This is the life that Christ has died to give us. This is the life that Christ has come to give us. And we equate this life to the land of Canaan. We equate this life to the land of promise that the Israelites were going to go and they were conquer. In fact, The New Testament gives you clues on what this book is really about, especially the letter of the Hebrews. In the third and fourth chapters of the Hebrews, we see that Canaan is a picture of spiritual rest through the Holy Spirit. A picture of spiritual rest that every believer on earth can have today, right now. Spiritual rest, a rest of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful promise that we have, and we need to look at it as a such. So we study these books. We study the Old Testament, and we glean from it a lot. In the book of Romans, in chapter 15, we read in verses 4 through 6, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. We we learn from these things that were written before. We learn from them, and we glean from them. When we take notice of them, they were written for our learning that we may, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. We see how the Lord dealt with the people of Israel, how He was gracious to them, and how He dealt with them, and how He does so many things. And we can have hope. Why? We're not the children of Israel. The church is never going to be Israel. We are the church. We're the Christ's bride. But our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's going to act the same. He's going to do those things for His beloved people. So we see those things. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4 and 11, Paul, 
using the Old Testament as examples. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers that are under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Then in verse 11, he says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of all ages have come. They were written for us to glean from and to look at and to know and to apply to our lives today. So the Old Testament, he said, don't be ignorant of this. Don't be ignorant of this. The Old Testament were pictures painted for us that we can see and benefit from. Because it was a foreshadow of Christ. God took his chosen one, the children of Israel. He took them out. He took them out of brutal bondage in Egypt. He set them free from the sin and carnality of their lives, the bondage that they were under. They were baptized symbolically in the Red Sea, just like we were baptized in water. They wandered for 40 years in the dust and dreary wilderness, just as we wander from time to time to times. There are times when I wandered in the wilderness so much that I felt like I was writing my names on cactuses. And then I would come back to the same cactus and I would see my name and it would be up here. Because I've been there so long that the cactus grew and grew and grew. We wander in the wilderness many times. But it also shows that the deliverance from Egypt was only preparation for the enjoyment of Canaan. Just like our deliverance from sin is only preparation for our enjoyment of abundant life that he's come to give us on earth. I'm free from sin. I don't have to worry about the law. In our Christian life, we are brought out of sin that we might be brought into the abundant life. Wilderness was never meant for a permanent residence of God, child. It's not our permanent residence, although we seem to like it sometimes. We seem to wander there quite a bit. I know I do. I get caught in the wilderness from time to time. Even as an entire generation of Israel died in the wilderness, many Christians die in the desert dryness of a spiritual experience. They never walk in the fullness that God has wanted them to give. Even some of the Israelites, at the end of the book, they don't walk in the fullness that God had intended them to have. They were satisfied to stay on the other side of the Jordan. They were blessed, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have all that God wanted them to have. As a victorious Christian, we want everything God wants for us. We should want everything what God wants. If God wants it for me, I want it. Give it to me, Lord. This life, this victorious life is now available to the Christian. It's a life of faith. It's a life of obedience, completely led by the Spirit. A spiritual walk of promise. A spiritual walk of victory that is ours only and solely in Christ Jesus. Only and solely in Him. These full blessings of God, this victorious Christian life is available to anyone who believes. Anyone who's hungry and eager to accept it. Like we said, many Christians do not accept it. They're wandering in the wilderness because of the attacks from the enemy. They get bogged down by the attacks from the enemy because they, they don't realize that they've overcome the enemy through Christ Jesus. He has overcome them. God's desire for all of us is to go into the abundant life, to be warriors and fight against these assaults from our adversary, just like Joshua brings the Israelites into the land. God could have just given it to them. God could have said, just Take the land, I've wiped everybody out for you. But no, they have to go in and they have to fight for every piece of land. They have to go in there and they have to wipe out the evil 
They have to take care of it. But God helps them greatly. What an example we have for us to come to the Christian life. One commentator read, I said, that God's desire is that we lay hold of that which is our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that every foe we shall ever meet in battle has been conquered by our Joshua, Jesus Christ. That's a great promise. That's a great, great promise for us to know. So as we begin this study, we have that promise that we read. So we're going to look at this. Let's look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Moses was dead. Moses represented the law. Moses brought the people to the edge of the promised land, but could not take them in. The law cannot come into the promised land. Land of abundance, land of milk and honey. Would be a man by the name of Joshua that would take them in to the promised land. We've talked about this before. Remember that Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is the Greek name for Joshua. Yashashua. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yes, their names are identical. Whatever Israel received in the promised land, they received by the hand of Joshua. Just like whatever we receive from God comes through Jesus Christ. Comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our Joshua. So what do we know about Joshua? It's interesting when we read in Joshua 13, verse 8, when the 12 spies were being chosen for the land, a man is listed by the name of Hosea. H-O-S-H-E-A, meaning salvation. And then we see in Numbers 13, 16, Moses takes this Hosea, who is, happens to be the son of Nun, and he calls him Joshua. He means now, he's added Yah Yeshua, which now means Jehovah is salvation. His name used to be salvation, but now God is salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. So, We see this name change go on there. So if you're wondering, that's how he got his name of Joshua. But we see something interesting here in the last part of verse 1. This man, Joshua, is called Moses' assistant. Now, in some of your Bibles, particularly the old, I don't want to say old, but the original King James, it says minister. Now, people think of minister, they think of somebody up here in a robe or somebody like that, you know, things like that. But in Greek, minister simply means servant. It means servant. So Joshua was Moses' servant. He was Moses' servant. So we see that Joshua was his assistant, his servant. And we know we're going to talk about the first thing we see is Joshua served faithfully. And he served Israel faithfully. Now, according to Josephus, Joshua was born in Goshen. Goshen was the place where all the Jews lived that was outside the boundaries of Egypt. That's where all the Jews lived. Joshua spent 40 years as a slave, according to the historian Josephus. So he knew hardships. He knew frustration. You know, he probably sat around the fire, sat around the table, and heard the stories about a great deliverer who would come. A great deliverer who was foretold. He believed these stories. Why? Because he worshipped the God of Abraham. 
He worshipped the God of Isaac, and he worshipped the God of Jacob. And he heard these stories as they were repeated time and time again. Joshua was there and saw the plagues. Joshua saw every single plague. In fact, Joshua was at the first Passover when the blood was on the lintel. Joshua was saved because Joshua was the firstborn in his family. He was saved by the Passover lamb. I'm sure when they left Egypt and they got to the Red Sea, Joshua's face soared when the Red Sea parted and they walked through on dry land. I'm sure when he looked back and he saw the Red Sea close over Pharaoh's army, he couldn't believe his eyes. Joshua was there. He ate manna provided by God. He ate quail provided by God. He drank from the rock, the water that came out of the rock. Joshua drank from it. Joshua was faithful and his faith endured. His faith endured for 40 years in the desert with all the hardships that was there. Once he led the armies to victory over Amalek. He led the armies to victory. He was the leader of the army there. He was chosen as one of the spies to go into the land. He and Caleb were the only ones who came back with faith saying, we can take them. We can get them. Let's go in the land. But the other 12s are going, ooh, there's giants in the land. Some of us are like that. Some of us in our daily life, the abundant life that God has given us, we go, ooh, there's giants in the land. And we become fearful. And we can't take possession of the land. But then there's those of us, those of you who have faith. Yeah, we can take it. Because the Lord's given it to us. We can take it. Caleb and Joshua wanted to take the land immediately. But you know the story. They wandered for 40 years because of unbelief. Joshua had a personal relationship with God. Joshua had a personal relationship with God. When Moses went up to the mountain in Exodus 24, he called Joshua to come with him. In fact, God told him to bring Joshua and Aaron. In Exodus 33... I love this. In Exodus 33, we read where Joshua and Moses were at the tabernacle. Remember a tabernacle where Moses went to meet with God? Well, they were both in there. Moses had to go to attend business, but the scripture said Joshua stayed behind. Joshua stayed in the presence of God. Joshua had a great relationship with God. To be a victorious Christian, we too must have a great relationship with our God. We must want to be around him. We must want to know him. He was Moses' assistant all those years. He was faithful. He was doing everything that Moses asked him to do. And I like to say he loved being number two. Joshua loved being number two. We're called by God to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. He's asked us to believe. We're called to be faithful for those who he's placed over us. Faithful to our government, faithful to those in leadership of the church, faithful to the leadership of our workplaces and things like that. God has given us tasks to do, and He's called us to be faithful to those tasks. You are Joshua 1 9 reminds you to be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What encouragement that is. God is with you wherever you go, in whatever you do, just as he was with his people, the Israelites, on their journey into the promised land. 
He went before them to make a way, orchestrating impossible situations to His glory. When you face the unknown, have courage. There's no need to fear the future. God is going before you as well. Trust in His faithfulness. Here at Assure Hope, we want you to know that we're praying for you. Is there anything specific we could be lifting up before the Lord? Please give us a call at 609-884-5821. We'd also like to invite you to get involved in a church community to help fuel your passion for Jesus and support you on this journey. If you're in the Cape May, New Jersey area, why not come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May? We'd love to have you join us for our time of fellowship, worship, and Bible study with Pastor Dave. We gather together every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. You'll find our address and driving directions by visiting our website at assurehoperadio.com or by giving us a call at 609-884-5821. We are so glad you tuned in today. May God bless you today and always. Pastor Dave will continue walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Joshua when you join us next time here on Assure Hope. Assure Hope.